0: The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel." and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion, and destroy the remains of the city. So a star shall ri- shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and he shall have dominion. So it's a fascinating a passage. I don't know if that informed the uh, Magi or not, but it, it's definitely a reference to a star and a king. Um, some argue that it's possibly Daniel um, communicated that, but who knows? So let's take a moment to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords um, as we take a moment now of silent meditation and preparation. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let us do so as we were called. Let us give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and sing unto him. We'll begin singing uh, hymn number 570 Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll be singing uh, Psalm 145, uh, the Charlie version, the C version. Uh, I will extol you, O my God. So we'll begin with praise God from whom all blessings flow. See? you do reign above, and that you sent your only begotten Son, and that he has claimed the victory, he has gained the victory, and that victory is assured through his resurrection ascension, and now he is seated at your right hand, exercising power and authority as King of all kings, Lord of all lords, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. We thank you for that truth, and we acknowledge that He is that you are our Lord. You're the boss, you're the King. And so we, your children, your servants, your disciples, your students, followers, we have come because you have called us to come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, for that great privilege of joining with the angels and the just men around your throne as they worship you night and day. We join them now to worship you. We pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us from heaven and that you would do that work within us that is necessary for our growth and grace. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here, applying the work of Christ to us today and every day. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life, offering that sacrifice once for all for the remission of our sins. I am now seated seated at the right hand of God. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to honor uh, the triune God this day. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
1: This morning, once again, we have opportunity to confess our sins with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And that reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 11 through 20. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark type. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be become guilty before God. Amen.
0: Let's pray. Father in heaven. We thank you for the, this portion of your holy word. It's very hard to read. The pride of man doesn't want to believe these words. I'm not that bad. But according to your word, there's none righteous. No, not one. We've been created by you to serve you. We see that all the way back in the book of Genesis with Adam Created to serve you. And like Adam, we have sinned and rebelled against your revealed will, your law. We have become unprofitable to you, we who are your servants. Servants in Adam, but even in Christ, we are called to follow Jesus, and that includes serving you. And yet, Father, we have not served you from our hearts holy and completely this week and many times we have fallen short we have sinned we have rebelled we have done that which is unrighteous which is not right in your sight we thank you lord jesus again for your love toward us and that while we fail you prevailed we thank you lord jesus for your words from the cross It is finished, and Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, we thank you that you have purchased our redemption. It cost you greatly. You suffered, you died. You were rejected by not only men, but also by your Father, Lord, in heaven. He experienced all that we deserve for our sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us so much that you died. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that love is evidenced in that you rose from the dead, that you are the Son of God with power. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to receive and to understand that we have full forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Christ offered once for all. We pray that you would enable us now to by faith rejoice in the forgiveness that we have, and to open our lips and praise our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have opportunity to do so. Let's turn to 335. Praise the Savior both now and forever. Now and ever. 334. Did I have the right number there? 335, sorry. Praise the Savior now and ever. Let us stand and sing. That you please be seated. Did you notice that in when was this hymn written? What does it say? Well, the author lived from 530 to 609 AD. Now, during that time, if you've studied a history, what do they refer to that period of time as the Dark Ages? where the gospel is, was eclipsed or ignored or education was uh, eliminated. Can you hear, do you hear those? what, what, what this fellow, uh, Venatinus Fortunatus, said theologically? He focuses on the cross, but he also focuses on Christ's righteousness applied to us. He talks about uh, the victory, the crushing of the serpent's head, victory over death, the application. Well, we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the application of Christ's merit to us. This is such a wonderful hymn. Anticipating, clear understanding that would occur a thousand years later with the Reformation. It's fascinating. As I sang that, I was just amazed at the depth of the understanding of the Bible here. Was that 1,400 years ago? During the dark ages. Isn't that interesting? All right, if you you still have that hymnal if you need it, Um, today we'll Confess the Nicene Creed, it's on page 852. Next year, we'll begin working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, and we'll be focusing on the Apostles' Creed during that time. But so one last time uh, this year, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Again, almost, what, 1,700 years ago, 1,800 years ago from the Bible. All right, in our preparation for the sermon this morning, if you will turn with me now to 3.32, Songs of Thankfulness, and I think this, is this not familiar? Sort of, do we want to play it through once?
1: And then we'll stand and sing, 3.32.
0: <laughs> Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. We'll begin reading verse 1. Hear now the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ Messiah was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, so that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him uh, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforter, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this portion of your holy word. We would not know of these events had it not been for the Spirit to guide Luke in, or Matthew in writing these things down. But we thank you for them. We thank you again that here we see a declaration, both Old and New Testament, prophecy and fulfillment, of the coming of the Christ, of the coming of the Messiah, of the King, uh, the King, the Son of David, born in Bethlehem. And so we thank you, Lord, for this account. And as we read it and as we think about it, may we also be encouraged, challenged, equipped to do your will. As we enter into this new year, 2024, may this be a year whereby... You are glorified as we follow you. You are the greater star. You are the light of the world. And yet you also call us to be children of light and to follow the light. And so we ask, O Lord, for that wisdom from above. Grace and help enable us, O Lord, to glorify you both today and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've probably heard it been said that environments have an impact on character development. True or false? Can, does your environment affect your upbringing, affect your attitude, affect your character? Sometimes um, there is too much emphasis placed on that. You're just the victim of your circumstances. You're just the victim of how you were treated as a child. Is it the deciding uh, factor? Is environment the deciding factor on who you are, on your character? What would you say? Yes? Yes? No. How about yes and no? No. I think no is the right answer. I've said it before. I'll say it again. What is the ABCs of Christianity? Anybody remember that? The ABCs of Christianity. Adversity builds Christ-like character. Does that make sense? Part of sanctification, part of the reason we're still here on earth after the Lord regenerates us, brings us to life in Christ, is that work of sanctification, is that work of building that Christ-like character in our lives. As we now come to a new year, sometimes we spend looking back at what was accomplished or how we failed or whatever from last year but also it's a time to prepare for and focus on what's coming up starting tomorrow, January 1st. And so it's a time to look back and it's a time to look forward. Well, if you stop and you think about it, this book primarily is focused on what has happened. But it also looks forward to what is going to happen. And so as we look at this particular text... And we look back 2,000 years ago here in this small town called uh, Bethlehem, and more importantly, in the country of Egypt, the focus is on this child, the Christ, Jesus, born in Bethlehem. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, we see his environment, as a young child, raised or born in Bethlehem. Probably was there at least a year to two years. If you notice in our text, the word is young child, young child, young child, young child. It doesn't say baby. That's a different word. So, And then notice that when Herod killed all the young children, two years old and under, because of what the wise men said. So at this point in time, we've moved forward in time, at least a year. They're living in a house, it says, in Bethlehem. And now this young child is there. And in his environment, there in Bethlehem, then they flee to Egypt. And from Egypt, they travel back to Israel, to Nazareth. So there's different environments mentioned here. Our Lord Jesus Christ's early childhood was adversity, but yet... He did not sin. So, but our focus this morning is on Egypt. So, if you have the the main point there in the outline, you can always judge a man by the quality of his enemies. Is that an interesting thought? you you can always judge a man by who hates him, by who is his enemies. If that's the case, this is especially true of our Lord Jesus Christ. It can also be said of those who are in union with Christ, having been delivered from his enemies and translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. Do you have enemies? So the the main question that I'm going to ask later on is are you an observer or a participant? Are you for him or against him? Are you his enemy in Adam or are you his follower in Christ? And so let's go back and let's look at our text. First of all, uh, we hear in verses 1 through uh, 12 of the Magi. And the Magi travel a great distance, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and they are looking for and seeking one who is born King of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Something in heaven, in the heavens, guided them or at least motivated them to travel a far distance to come and to worship the King of the Jews, This is a surprising statement, isn't it? That these Gentiles, these people are separated from God. They are not identified with the true God, and yet they come bearing gifts to worship the king. What's amazing about this text is, or almost kind of comical in a sad way, is when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was. Well, maybe we could understand why Herod was troubled, but why all Jerusalem? And the answer is because Herod was a paranoid individual. He was afraid that someone was going to take his place as king, and so he killed a number of his relatives, including his son, to the point that Caesar, there in Rome, said of Herod, it is safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son. Remember, he doesn't eat pork. It's safer to be his pig than to be his son. And now he come, these men come from the east and they say, we're looking for the king and it's not you. What would a paranoid be thinking? Uh-oh, I missed him. Okay, I need to eliminate the competition. And so Herod troubled Jerusalem with his paranoia. And now we have this Amazing statement. But yet, Herod knows enough to know that there is prophecy in the Bible concerning the coming shepherd, king, the Christ, the Messiah. And so he calls his theologians together and says, where does the Bible say that the Christ, the king of kings, the Christ is to be born, and they say, and they quote from, Uh, the scriptures in Bethlehem of Judea, as it is written by the prophets. And so he sends the wise men to go and to bring him word so that he could, quote, unquote, worship him also. Is that what he was going to do? No, we read in later on the text, so that he could kill So there are those who seek, who want to destroy him in our text. But yet, what do we see? How was the Christ child delivered? It was by God's sovereign hand. The wise men, it says, they were divinely warned in a dream, verse 12, that they should not return to Herod and departed and went another way. Then Joseph was, uh, the angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and commanded him, Get up and go to Egypt. Take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there. And he obeyed. He arose. He took the young child and he departed. And he was there until the death of Herod. As prophesied in the book of Hosea, God's sovereignty. God's safety. And yet, also notice the the involvement, the involvement of both the wise men and also of Joseph in obedience to God's sovereignty. And so, in this text, we see an environment of great danger. As a matter of fact, as we read later on, Herod sends and kills every young male child from two years old and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. And yet God's sovereignty protects him in Egypt, of all places. So, my first point. From where were you delivered? Okay, again, we're talking about looking back in the past. We're looking at the past for Jesus, but what about for you? Where were you when you were born? When you were a young child? What was your state before God? What was your situation? My answer would be, you were in danger. Like Jesus. There's a war that's been going on since the garden. The war between the seeds that have carried on throughout history. And here we see it with a reference to Egypt. On Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of uh, John, and the Jews of the day, when Jesus was speaking to them, uh, they made a statement which is so false, it's almost unbelievable. They said, we have never been in bondage to anyone. If you know your Bible, that's not true. Was Israel ever in bondage? in Egypt for hundreds of years. The answer is, yeah, so let's turn to that. If you have your Bibles open, will please turn to Exodus chapter 1. Some people call Exodus the gospel according to Moses. And here we have the problem and the deliverance. In verse 7, but the children of Israel were fruitful and, exceed, and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, as you read that, pat, that verse, does that sound like a fulfillment of a promise by God to Abraham? That God would increase his seed, his descendants, as the seed stars in the heavens, and as the sand on the seashore. Now there arose, verse 8, a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened, in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to limit their growth, or the fulfillment of prophecy of their growth, and to preemptively keep them from joining forces in warfare. Therefore, They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, uh, Pithon and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness or rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service in which they made them serve was with harshness, or with vigor, or with torment, or with violence, however you want to translate that word. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the names and so on, and basically told them to kill the male children, the potential warriors, the potential household leaders. So what do we see there? War between the seeds, between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. It says there, their burdens and affliction were imposed upon them. The curse was placed upon the people of God. They were burdened in the land. Secondly, their life was bitter with hard bondage. We are talking earlier about environments. What kind of environment would that be like for you and me, to be in an environment? Number one, you're the stranger, you're the outsider. Number two, the government's against you. Number three, they make you slaves and put you in bondage, and they make you work to the point of death. Violence. That's the environment that the people of God experienced there in Egypt. They were in slavery, and it was with severity. Again, with violence, with torment, with harshness. And then... Pharaoh attempts to kill, sound familiar? The male children of Israel. Sound familiar with our text? In our text in Judea, Herod, like Pharaoh before him, cannot abide competition. And so he orders the murder of the Christ child. Again, our text out of Egypt, I have called my son. That originally was intended to point to Exodus. The Israelites are the son who was called out of Egypt. But they pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ, who, was, who Herod attempted to murder using the sword of the state. Again, the real battle is not between Herod and Christ, but between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and his henchmen, who maintain a hold over all in Adam, even today. As we look about ourselves, as we look about the world, as we uh, study what's going on in Africa or in Asia or in Israel or in Ukraine or in Canada or in the United States or Mexico and we look at all of this wars wickedness rebellion it's easy to panic or to start to be afraid or What's going to happen in 2024? We've got the elections coming up. What kind of games are going to be played? One of the experiences that I had when traveling to the Philippines is people in the Philippines look forward to the elections. Do you know why? Because the year before, everything gets fixed. The roads get fixed. All these wonderful things happen until the election, and then everything goes to pot. But I don't know. What about you? What do you think next year is going to be like? It could be easy to say, oh, this is going to get really bad. We're in kind of a bubble that's going to burst. Even today, we should not be surprised with the way things are. If you name the name of Christ, you will suffer persecution. Is that in the Bible? Or am I just making that up? Am I being a Debbie Downer? Am I being a realist? So how do we face 2024 in an environment that is at war with God? Well, let's ask the question, second point. Is Christ your deliverer or is he your enemy? The reason for the attempt upon the life of the young child Jesus was the statement by the Magi, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Do you ever think that that was a sentence of death for Christ? That was a declaration of war? At least that's what Herod interpreted it as. There is someone coming to supersede you in authority over the Jews. It was a declaration of war. So my question to you, Christ came to be the deliverer, the greater than Moses who delivered Israel out of Egypt. Is he your deliverer? Because if not, according to the Bible, he's your enemy. And you're in the same place as Herod. I'm in charge here. It's all about me and my will and my exercising of who I am. Is he your deliverer or is he your enemy? What we find that I find is fascinating is the place where Israel was held in bondage for hundreds of years, that is the place where God sends the Christ child. Isn't that odd? Isn't that weird? The, probably the most dangerous place for Israel to be at the time of Moses was to be in Egypt. Now, G, now, the, now God sends Joseph and Mary and the young child Jesus right into Egypt. And it happened to be at this time the safest place for the child. And I want you to keep that in mind. Egypt as a place of temporary refuge, like Joseph and Jacob before him. Here's the point there is no safe place on earth. Yet in Christ, every place is safe. Is that true? If we're in a world at war with God, is there a safe place? Is there a Switzerland? Is there a demilitarized zone? Well, if we go to this place, there's no warfare. Is that true? Is there any place on earth where there is no warfare? That there is a safe place and you can let down your guard, you can take your armor off, you can kick back because you're in safety. Is there? There's no safe place. However, in Christ, every place is safe. Wherever God has you is a safe place because the safety is found in him, not in the place, not in the environment. We are not subject to our environment in that way. He is our resting place. That's what the writer to Hebrews says, that in Christ we have rest right now. We have Sabbath right now. So are you, is Jesus your deliverer or your enemy? Do you have that safe place in Christ? Furthermore, as you think about this, Christ suffered rejection even as a little child. His family had to flee the land of promise, had to flee the covenant people of God and go to a pagan land to find safety. He was despised and rejected by man, even as a child. And then as a man, as he is... Uh, going about fulfilling God's call, healing the sick, raising the dead. What happened to him? He was betrayed by one he trusted, one of his followers, and he was murdered by state sanction. Ever thought of it that way? even though the state said he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent, and they kill him. I think that's murder, using the rod, using the sword of the state. But yet, as Peter says, through Christ's death, life and deliverance was accomplished. And what do you say to that? How about an amen? How about a praise the Lord? He came to deliver us, to set his people free. Again, the question to you is, are you an observer or a participant? I mentioned this last week. As we read this account The question is, are you just observing these things from afar? Oh, that happened 2,000 years ago. Or are you in Christ and you're there with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus or the infant Jesus traveling to Egypt? If you're in Christ, you are there. Does that make sense? As as Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean when you persecute my people, you persecute me because I'm there with them? If we're in Christ, we're seated in heavenly places. Our identity is in Christ. We are there at this time. If not, then we don't have deliverance. So my question is, are you an observer of these things? Oh, that's a nice story, Pastor, and on my way? Or were you there? Are you in Christ? Is this attempt on the life of Christ the attempt on the life, your life? You understand? Why was this written? For our edification, for our building up, so that we may understand the gospel. The gospel is tied with Christ. So the third point, one of, my, uh, uh, one of my songs that I like to hear, listen to every once in a while, you may or may not have heard before. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Keith Green wrote this song, and the title is, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. I don't know, if you, has, anybody, has anybody heard this song? You have? Okay. He goes, so you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard, eating leeks and onions by the Nile? Ooh, what breath, but dining out in style. Ooh, my life's on the skids. Give me the pyramids. Can you hear that kind of language? If you know you, the Exodus wanderings, Leviticus numbers, did that, does that sound like the children of Israel, the mixed multitude that left Egypt? They grumbled and complained. They're looking back. Well, there's nothing to do but travel, and we sure travel a lot. Because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. In the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And they sure had a winner last night for dinner. Flaming manna souffle. Well, we once complained for something new to munch. The ground opened up and had some of us for lunch. Ooh, such fire and smoke. Can't God even take a joke? Again, we laugh. If you're not laughing... You can laugh, that's okay. But it's serious, isn't it? Grumbling and complaining in their tents. That's not a problem with you or I, right? We don't grumble and complain about what, the place that God has us for, uh, with or in today. Do we? Do you? Question God? So you want to go back to Egypt where your old friends wait for you You can throw a big party and tell the whole gang what they said was all true. And this Moses acts like a big shot. Who does he think he is? It's true, God works lots of miracles, but Moses thinks they're all his. Well, I'm having so much trouble even now. Why did he get so mad about that cow, that golden calf? Moses, he seems rather idle. He just sits around. He just sits around and writes the Bible. Oh, Moses, put down your pen. What? Manna again? Manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patty, but manna bread. So you want to go back to Egypt. How soon we forget from where we have been delivered. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, it says that the people of God grumbled and said, we remember what it was like in Egypt. We had all these things. But they forgot that they were in bondage and that Pharaoh was trying to kill them. They just looked at the good of the world, but they forgot the dangers. The world is not your friend. The world is not your home. We are passing through. How soon we forget from where we've been delivered, how soon we forget the severity of the task of deliverance. Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that one. Why do you keep talking about it, Pastor? Can we go on? It's not that important. I've heard it all before. How soon we forget the severity of the task. Here is this child whose life was threatened. Why? Because he was sent to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Is that not unthankfulness? Is that unthankfulness? The writer to the Hebrews, arguing for the importance or the greatness or the how much better Jesus is than all of the old things, he said in Hebrews chapter 10, the blood of bulls and goats were insufficient to redeem, to save, to cover our sin. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So then why did God institute them? Why was there so much blood shed in the Old Testament? Why was it that you took an animal, you placed your, head on, your hands on the head of the animal, confessed your sins, and then you took the knife and you cut its throat and you caused it to die? Why was that necessary? Because you deserve the death, that, that animal, the wages of sin is death. And more importantly, because that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood once for all for the remission of sins. It's not possible for any other way, Jesus said in the garden. Verses 10 through 15 of chapter 10, again he says, By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Not once for everybody, but once and and only once. That's the focus. Once. Or he goes on to say, but this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. Again, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Isn't that an interesting statement? We are already perfect in Christ, but we're being perfected. (laughs) We're being sanctified. It is finished. It is accomplished. And now he's accomplishing what we're living to do. And then he goes on in verses 16 through 25 to talk about all the blessings of redemption. But then he also gives warning in verses 26 through 31. And then in verses 32 through 39, he exhorts us to walk by faith with Christ, our shepherd king. So what's the point? What's the call for 2024? You can write this down. I may ask you this sometime in the future. Okay? Just to see if you're listening to this sermon. Here is my advice for your New Year's resolution I will live a thankful life every single day. That's your call. That's the point. Thank you, Lord. Every day. So one way to kind of help you with that, to fulfill that New Year's resolution, how many of you have ever made a resolution, a New Year's resolution, and it lasted less than a month? Right. Here's, a, here's one that maybe you can do. I'll give you some assistance. How many of you have read the whole Bible? At least once in your life, I've read the whole Bible. I have. Come on, guys, back there. Um, okay, is that something that would be interesting to you? Would be interest you? Challenge you? If this is God's word, if this is God's word to you, is this important to you? If it is, well, I've started and I've tried to read the Bible in a year, and things get busy. So, I've set be- behind you, behind TJ, on the little thing there, uh, three different Bible reading plans. One of them's chronological, which is interesting, and there's a couple others, and they are different. My challenge to you is pick up one of those. And if we run out, bring the last one to me, and we'll make copies. Okay? But take one of those and pray about that idea of saying, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to try to read the Bible through in a year. I've never done it before, or I have." And how often do you how often do you eat? How many of you have fasted more than 21 days? How many of you have fasted regularly? How often do we fast from the word of God? If it's more important, more viable, brings us life, more necessary than food. Are we fasting Christians? We're on the verge of a new year. Next tomorrow is January 1st. Happy New Year. What is the resolution? How can I live a thankful life starting tomorrow? Well, one way is by thanking him by reading what he wants you to know, to follow Jesus, to be that student. So in summary, do environment and circumstances affect a person's life? Has what has happened to you in the past affect you now and will affect you tomorrow? And the answer is yes, it has an effect. But here's the question, is it determinative to your future? Are you living in the past? Are you living in Christ in the present, looking forward to his return? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth, enduring the threat of murder as a small child, we thank you, Lord, for delivering him out of not only the hands of Pharaoh, I mean the hands of Herod, but also delivering him from Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son, and through that calling uh, we have been delivered from the bondage of hell of the and delivered, transformed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to embrace this again, to renew that thankfulness for what you have done for us, and also that we would live for you. As we set apart, as we start off a new year, we pray that it would be a year in Christ, for Christ, through Christ. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's respond to... God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. <laughs> Pray, Father in heaven, we do come before you and lay before you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands, and we commit not only them, but ourselves to you. As it is time, uh, many take resolutions, uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, we pray that you enable us to make and to keep them. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, again, as we look back over the years, and especially this past year, how your sustaining grace has sustained us as we entered into this year with questions about what's going to be happening, so we enter a new year. Again, we don't know, but you do. You have predetermined, you have ordained, you have foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And so we do trust, trust in you, we rest ourselves in you, and we go forth following you into this new year. We thank you, Lord, for answered prayer. We think of... Uh, in particular, the Shimmets family. Uh, last Sunday, we were able to be with them and to meet little Mella in person. And we ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing as they come together now as a family with four children. And we pray that you would help Bill as he goes back to work. And um, as they enter into a routine, that you bless uh, them. We pray, O oh Lord, that these children would be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we pray for all our children as well, that truly you would help us to be those who follow Jesus and lead them to Jesus. And so we ask, O Lord, for help in doing that, to be disciples of Christ and also disciplers uh, for Christ. Uh, We lift up to you our church. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all that are here. We pray for those who are not able to be here or attending church elsewhere in other places or traveling or sick at home or Uh, whatever this case may be, we pray, O Lord, for your blessing upon them. Uh, We pray that you'd strengthen the body of Christ here. Help us to be able to, as a body, as the church, as your people, uh, fulfill your calling to us. Uh, We do lift up to you the needs that are uh, listed in the bulletin, Uh, be it uh, Audrey, a young uh, niece of the Rollers, um, uh, as she has Uh, disappeared and they are uh, uh, concerned and care for uh, their daughter or uh, sister. We do pray, O Lord, for her um, ability for the family to find her and that she would be safe. And if she knows you not, that she would be saved. We lift up to you, Ethel, and we uh, thank you that she's uh, completed her radiation treatments and is now in Utah Uh, under further care. We pray for wisdom. And we pray for, uh, again, continued um, uh, pain alleviation. We thank you that James is able to be there with his wife and family. We pray, oh Lord, for your comfort and mercy there. We thank you, Lord, for answered prayer concerning Reverend Mike Lasley, as he preached last Sunday at church. That was uh, such a great sign to see that he's up and about back home from the hospital. Uh, we do pray for continued um, Uh, success in recovering from the stroke, and we ask, O Lord, that you would restore him to be able to serve you in the various capacities he was doing beforehand. Give uh, him wisdom and uh, his wife and family wisdom concerning how best to uh, uh, overcome in this challenge. We lift up to you also, we thank you for uh, Reverend Hank Bowen and his uh, recovery or recovering from um, the uh, back pain that he has been experiencing, we pray that you would give him and the doctor's wisdom whether what, what to do in the future to uh, continue to work on his back and those injuries. We lift up to you others in the congregation who are dealing with various trials and testings. We ask, O oh Lord, for comfort. We ask, O oh Lord, for deliverance. We ask, O oh Lord, for wisdom. We ask, O oh Lord, for your grace in order to glorify you, and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Is Jesus your Lord and King? That's what we've been talking about the past three weeks. Well, let us go ahead and uh, close our service this morning by acknowledging him, our God, as our help in ages past and our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast in our eternal home. Amen. Let us stand and sing. 222 <laughs> Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you, guard you, protect you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you His shalom in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.